KUOZ 100.5 is an FCC-licensed radio station operated by the University of the Ozarks, Clarksville, Arkansas. Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to From the Concert Hall, your source for classical music here on KUOZ 100.5 FM, your hometown radio station from the University of the Ozarks here in Clarksville, Arkansas. Now please sit back, relax, and enjoy, as we have the privilege of taking you back in time for this next hour, right here in our very own little concert hall. Good evening, and thank you for tuning in. This is From the Concert Hall, KUSE's weekly show featuring classical music and the arts. Tonight, we are talking about George Gershwin. You know, this season, we are doing sweet suites, as we like to call it, looking at orchestral suites or musical suites in any form. Well, tonight, to have some fun, we've kind of made up our own little suites for Gershwin, and I've kind of thrown a lot of Gershwin together to emphasize this composer who... We felt really need emphasize, really needed emphasize this season. <laughs> Excuse my bad grammar. As you know, here from the concert hall, we really seem to love the music of Gershwin. You hear us play "I Got Rhythm" all the time, and we've played other pieces of his, like "Embraceable You" and "Shall We Dance." And tonight, we're going to be featuring some of his more famous and less famous pieces. So tonight, we'll be looking at "Rhapsody in Blue," the Cuban Overture. And Can't Take That Away From Me, which was a song that actually almost won him an Academy Award for Best Original Song from the film Shall We Dance in 1937. First up tonight, though, we're going to be looking at the Cuban Overture. Now, the Cuban Overture is a symphonic overture or tone poem for orchestra composed by George Gershwin. Now, it was originally titled Rumba, and this was a result of a two-week holiday which Gershwin took in Havana, Cuba in February of 1932. Remember, of course, this was before the Cuban embargo. And Gershwin originally composed this piece in July and August of 1932. The overture is dominated by Caribbean rhythms and Cuban native percussion with a wide spectrum of instrumental color and technique. It is a rich and exciting work with complexity and sophistication, and it illustrates the influence of Cuban music and dance on Gershwin. Its main theme actually is influenced by a then-current hit by Ignacio Pin. <clears throat> Piñero, which was Echale Salsita. Now, other songs referenced in the piece and themes and phrases that come up in the piece are from a traditional folk song at the time, La Paloma. Now, the work, like I said before, the work originally appeared under the title Rumba, and it was premiered at New York's now-demolished Lewiston Stadium on then 16th Avenue. And it appeared in August of 1932. And it was part of an all-Gershwin program held by the New York Philharmonic. And the concert was a huge success. Actually, Gershwin wrote about it saying that it was, I really believe, the most exciting night I have ever had. 17,845 people paid to get in. And just about 5,000 were at the closed gates trying to fight their way in unsuccessfully. 
The work was greeted favorably by critics, and it was renamed Cuban Overture three months after it, three months later, at a benefit concert conducted by Gershwin at the Metropolitan Opera to avoid giving the audience the idea that it was simply a novelty idea. The new title provided, as the composer stated, a more just idea of the character and intent of the music. That's, that's Gershwin saying, you know, I wrote this piece you know, about this country and about this group of people. It's not just this thing that I wrote for fun. There's a deeper meaning to it that we need to really appreciate here. Now, the overture is scored for three flutes, third of which is doubling the piccolo, two oboes, English horn, two clarinets, in B-flat, mind you, bass clarinet, bassoons, contrabassoon, that's an interesting one. You don't see the contrabassoon used very often. Four French horns, three B-flat trumpets, three trombones, tuba, timpani, percussion, and strings. Now, the composer's note in the score actually has specific comments for the placement of the percussion instruments, including the bongo claves, gourd, and maracas, which should be right in front of the conductor's stand with pitchers. So he included pitchers in his scoring so that whenever they were setting up the orchestra, they knew exactly how Gershwin wanted the the percussionist here to be set up. <laughs> now, one of the interesting things, right now actually Gershwin's music is going through a huge revival with the University of Michigan and some private smaller funds, including the Gershwin Foundation. But in this score by F. Campbell Watson, who was in charge of Gershwin's scores after his death at the time, he had the score tweaked and changed a bit, and so we may hear in the score some rhythm piano. I don't remember hearing rhythm piano in the score, but it's something we may hear. And part of what they're doing right now with all of Gershwin's scores, they're taking and they're going through every single score, all of his handwritten notes on the scores, and looking at all of these and trying to take every single one of Gershwin's scores back to their truly original form and what I've read right now is that they're trying to have this released by early to mid 2017. So hopefully sometime next year we'll see these score coming out. And, you know, I look forward to it. I really love Gershwin. I love playing Gershwin. I love listening to Gershwin. So I'm curious to see what might change and what might stay the same. But to start the night and to kind of give us a bit of fun Cuban flair, since this piece isn't so well known today of Gershwin's work, we have the Cuban Overture. Enjoy.
thank you for tuning in. You are listening to From the Concert Hall here on KUOZ 100.5 FM, community radio from University of the Ozarks here in Clarksville, Arkansas. Thank you for tuning in and continuing to listen to us here on From the Concert Hall. If you're just joining us, thank you again for tuning in. You just finished listening to the Cuban Overture, a lovely symphonic overture or tone poem by George Gershwin, written while he was down in Cuba. For those of you who have been with us tonight, we you know we love it. We're so glad you're enjoying the show. Now, you know one of the perks of getting to sit here and listen to music in a radio station in this live studio is that we have surround sound. So whenever we have these lovely I mean, these just really amazing pieces of music on. We just get to sit back and listen as this music like literally surrounds us. And just it's so beautiful and overwhelming, it seems. But listening to the Cuban Overture, something that sticks out to me, number one, is that one, that's a really fun piece. It, just in listening to it, to me, I can hear the Gershwin it. But two, I'm just trying to imagine how amazing it would have been to have been in New York at Lewiston Stadium when Gershwin had this piece premiered by the Philharmonic. You know, in his write-up, he said that there were almost 18,000 people there with 5,000 more trying to get in. I mean, I can imagine being a part of that 5,000 line to try to get in. But, you know, it's so amazing now with technology and the recordings that we have that we can be a part of that 18,000 well now more that's gotten to experience this piece and it's just it's a lovely thing next up tonight though we're going to be looking at the Rhapsody in Blue this honestly is probably one of Gershwin's most famous pieces now Rhapsody in Blue is a 1924 musical composition by Gershwin and it's for solo piano and jazz band Sometimes you'll see it for four-handed piano and jazz band, or sometimes you'll just see it for four-handed piano. There's a lot of different variations on it that not only were written and arranged by Gershwin, but by others. And this was originally commissioned by the band leader Paul Whiteman. And the composition was later orchestrated by... Uh, let me see if I can pronounce this name right. You know, I always butcher names, and it makes me so sad, but it's Ferde Grofe. And several times he made different arrangements of it, which include the 19, the original 1924 scoring for the theater orchestra setting that was published in 1926 and the symphony orchestra scoring that was later published in 1942. <coughs> the piece d- was received in its premiere concert, An Experiment in Modern Music, which was held in February of 1924 at Aeolian Hall in New York, and Whiteman and his band were the ones performing it with Gershwin at the piano. I want to take a moment and think that when this Rhapsody in Blue was written, it was revolutionary. It was an experiment in modern music. Now, let's think of modern in terms of 1924 there for a minute. Modern has definitely changed. However, when we look at Rhapsody in Blue, it still is a revolutionary piece, even by today's standards. (coughs) And actually, his Rhapsody in Blue established Gershwin's reputation as a very serious composer. Now, this was quoted by the editors of the Cambridge Music Handbook at the time. (coughs) Now, to me, Rhapsody in Blue, I'm not a huge fan. Now, let me explain why. 
over this a couple summers ago, I got to go and do some work in a music music institution, and we used to go and take tours of a private museum. And they had this wonderful, wonderful piano, and it was a reproduction piano, and all it played was Rhapsody in Blue all day long. Now, the cool thing about that was it was a reproduction of Gershwin actually playing Rhapsody in Blue. So it's playing, the piano is playing it exactly the way Gershwin would have. But because of that, I kind of have a very particular taste for Rhapsody in Blue. I've got to be in the right mood to play it. And, you know, so my, my co-host and my colleagues here love to pick on me and have me play things that are kind of out of out of my comfort zone or things that I wouldn't necessarily enjoy playing. But, you know, tonight, as I've been working on the show, getting prepared, you know, I listen to Rhapsody in Blue over and over and over again. And I've just got to say, this recording we've got, is really spectacular. The recording we have tonight is by the Royal Philharmonic, the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra with Barry Woodsworth conducting, and the pianist here is Christopher O'Reilly. But it's just, it's so beautiful. It's so expressive in listening to, you know, the Philharmonic here play it. And it's, to me, I just kind of fell in love with the piece that I really wasn't in love with before tonight. So I can say that I think tonight... You know, everyone's going to kind of be taken aback by just the amazing recording we have here tonight. Now, a bit of a fun fact. When Gershwin was commissioned to write this piece, he was originally doing it for one of his one-act operas that kind of fell through. It was called Blue Monday. He took his music from it and turned it into this piece that became Rhapsody in Blue. (laughs) But... You know where he had the Blue Monday premiered. He, the uh, the ambassador of the theater later called him, and was picking on him and kind of poking fun at Gershwin because he had this big concert coming up that Whitman had commissioned a piece for that Gershwin still didn't really know what to do with. And so, actually, Whitman, the man who commissioned it, his rival Vincent Lopez was planning to steal the idea of this concert. So Gershwin actually, like, pushed and finished the piece even faster. He finished it in about five weeks. And it was kind of funny. He actually composed the piece, what what was the rhapsody of the piece, on a train ride to Boston. He is quoted saying, It was on the train with its steely rhythms, its rattly bang, that so often so stimulating to a composer. I frequently hear music in the very heart, the very heart of the noise. And here I suddenly heard and even saw on paper the complete construction of Rhapsody. He's talking about the Rhapsody in blue here. From beginning to end. No new themes came to me, but I worked on the thematic material already in my head and tried to conceive the composition as a whole. I heard it as a sort of musical kaleidoscope of America, of our vast melting pot, of our unduplicated national pep, of our metropolitan madness. By the time I'd reached Boston, I had a definite plot of the piece as distinguished from its actual substance. So in The Rhapsody in Blue, what Gershwin is writing about here, or what he's trying to embody in this piece, is literally the spirit of America, American nationalism, and all the little things that make up America. If you were with us on our first night of this season, when we were talking about... Uh, some of the English composers in their suites, 
you saw a lot of that British nationalism, and it was really quite lovely. We also saw some American nationalism, some earlier American nationalism with Charles Ives that night. <laughs> but here we have Gershwin's version of American nationalism. And to me, you know, he kind of takes it home. You really do get what at the time was American nationalism. What's fun in music is seeing how these styles change and what nationalism, as it's known at the time, how that changes. When we see Ives' version of American nationalism, it's, you know, these folky songs and things. Like, we see a lot of play off the alma mater tune, the Anna Linda tune. And here with Gershwin, we just kind of see this jazzier, you know, bigger arrangement, more symphonic than what we would have seen with Ives. It almost is a throwback to Dvorak, who helped develop the American style. And you would have heard that from us if you were listening back last season when we were looking at the music of America. But, not last season, I'm sorry, two seasons ago. Whew, how the time flies. But this, this Rhapsody in Blue, is Gershwin's take on this American style. And really, it's great. I, at least this recording to me is great. I fell in love with it. It's more than just that piano. It's really the way it was supposed to have been heard. So to continue on a bit about the Rhapsody in Blue, it premiered in an afternoon concert on that Tuesday, February 12th, 1924, with Paul Whitman when he was you know, doing his experiment in modern music concert there in New York City. Now, the purpose of the experiment, as told by Whitman in a pre-concert lecture, was to be purely educational, that it would at least provide a stepping stone which will make it very simple for the masses to understand and therefore enjoy symphony and opera. So he was trying to bring back these styles, the operas and the symphonies that had kind of fell out of favor with the modern music at the time, the jazz, the big band, the swing, all of those things that were happening. So this is a great concert. Now, what I love about Gershwin is that he was very much a classical composer. Most people know him for his jazz or for his musicals like Girl Crazy, which later became crazy for you or things like that, or his work in the movie compositions. But orchestra was, uh, I'm sorry, Gershwin was very classically trained. I mean, yes, his work later became synonymous in the jazz scene and really helped influence it. But he wrote operas and large symphonies and concertos and these huge, beautiful classical works that we see. And they're, just, they're lovely. And really, in my mind, they're underperformed. And to me, they really really shaped Gershwin the artist and Gershwin the musician here. You know, probably his most famous opera is Porgy and Bess. Those of us here at Ozarks will know this, this opera very well if they've been here for a few years, as we had a wonderful, wonderful musician come in from New York, Iris Spalding, who worked with our chamber singers and performed selections from it. But it's just, Gershwin's music to me is beautiful, and that's why here from the concert hall we keep playing him. Now, in response to this piece, by the end of 1927, the Rhapsody was so popular that the band had played it 84 times, and its recording had already sold a million copies. To get the whole piece, you actually had to buy, they actually had to make it on two sides of a 12-inch record, and it had to be played at a faster speed than it would have usually been in concert. 
So it actually gave it a really hurry field and a lot of the musicality was lost. <laughs> now the piece received mixed reviews from mainstream critics. Now, All and Downs reviewed the Rhapsody in Blue in the New York Times saying, this composition shows extraordinary talent as it shows a young composer within the aims that go far beyond those of his ilk, struggling with a form of which he is far from being master. In spite of all this, he has expressed himself in a significant and, on the whole, highly original form. His first theme is a no mere dance tune. It is an idea, or rather several ideas, correlated and combined in a varying and contrasting rhythms that immediately intrigue the listener. The second theme is more after the manner of some of Mr. Gershwin's colleagues. The tutics are too long and the cadenzas are too long. The, the preparation at the end loses a large measure of the wildness and the magnificence it could have easily have had if it, were, if it were more broadly prepared. And for all of that, the audience was stirred and many a hardened concert goer excited with the sensation of a new talent finding his voice. There was a tumultuous applause for Gershwin's composition. So that just goes to show how well-received, you know, the piece was. Even a hardened critic could sit and say, you know, Gershwin's, this is, you know, a piece for him that is going to set him apart and put him above the others right now as he is working and finding his voice. And people are now definitely going to know his name and know Gershwin and look for Gershwin on the shelves. And clearly they did with, you know, over a million copies sold in the first year. But let's see what you think. You know, I fell back in love with this piece. So for those of you who've never heard it, hopefully you'll give this piece a chance. It really is wonderful in its full symphonic form. Our recording tonight, you know, of course comes from the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra with Barry Woodsworth conducting. And the pianist here is Christopher O'Reilly. I hope you enjoy.
listening to From the Concert Hall here on KUOZ 100.5 FM, Community Radio from University of the Ozarks here in Clarksville, Arkansas. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to From the Concert Hall. I'm your host tonight, Corbin Sturge. I really thank those of you who've been listening to us through tonight. You've heard the Cuban Overture and the Rhapsody in Blue, both by George Gershwin. If you're just joining us, well, I hope you listened to and enjoyed what you heard of the Rhapsody in Blue. That truly is a wonderfully expressive piece, and that recording in particular by the Royal, the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra really is one of my favorite recordings of the piece. In it, you truly get all of the subtle nuances of the piece, and you get to hear just how beautiful the piece truly is and can be when performed by a full orchestra and an accomplished pianist, let me tell you. Now, our last bit of Gershwin for the evening, and this one for me can be a bit of fun, is they can't take that away from me. Now, my personal experience with this piece, the first time I ever heard it, was in the musical Crazy For You, which was the adaptation on Girl Crazy, which was a Gershwin musical from back in the 20s. Now, I got to know the piece that way, and I got to know, you know just how wonderful and expressive it can be as well. That's one thing I can always say about Gershwin. He truly is the master of expression in his music. The way he writes and all the little subtle nuances within the music, it really is very, very expressive. Now, the recording we have tonight is kind of special. At least in my mind, it's rather special. This recording is the original recording of the piece with Fred Astaire for the, mu- I'm sorry, for the movie Shall We Dance, which was a 1937 film. Now, Gershwin was actually nominated for an Academy Award that year for Best Original Song. Sadly, he didn't win, but it would have been just the feather in Gershwin's cap. You know, it would, that would have been a very hard year for the Gershwin family. You know, Gershwin at, this, at that point would have been passed away by only a, a month or so. Gershwin died very young at the age of 38, and he actually died in July of 1937. But, as we know, the Academy Awards typically happen late fall, at least the best I'm remembering. Maybe it's the spring. You know, pop culture, I'm really bad at it. (laughs) That's why I host a radio show about classical music. (laughs) Uh, But in this piece, we have the original recording with the orchestra by Johnny Green, which is Dianelli in March 14th of 37. So actually, Gershwin would have been around when this recording was made and would have had a big part in dealing with this and how it was being performed. So we really get to see a touch of true Gershwin in this piece. To me, it's just beautiful. Now, with Can't Take That Away From Me, in this piece, Fred Astaire is singing to this woman who he is encapsulated with throughout the course of this movie. And it's just this lovely little piece. It starts out with just the band and the orchestra. And you get this, about midway through, you start hearing Mr. Astaire sing. And it's just this beautiful kind of pleading tone, but it's still very commanding at the same time. So this was great vocal work by Mr. Astaire and how he performed the piece. To me, it just... I don't know. 
maybe it's just me. Maybe I just get sappy whenever I hear great, great music. But tonight, the music all for me has been really great. And this recording in particular, even though it's from 1937 and we're getting it off this old vinyl, it's it's great. The quality is the quality is there. You can hear just how beautiful it is. And you can imagine, you know, hearing this originally. I mean, literally, you can imagine hearing it originally because that's what you're doing. You're hearing the original recording. But you can imagine what it would have been like to hear this piece for the first time. And some of you really probably can't imagine. Maybe you really are hearing it for the first time, which adds a greater depth of meaning to getting to premiere this piece to you tonight. So without further ado, our last song for the night, They Can't Take That Away From Me, as performed by Fred Astaire and the orchestra for the movie Shall We Dance, the 1937 film. Hopefully you'll stick with us after the piece. We'll talk with you a bit more afterwards. But for now, enjoy They Can't Take That Away From Me. They can't take that away from 
Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to From the Concert Hall here on KUOZ 100.5 FM, community radio from the University of the Ozarks here in Clarksville, Arkansas. Hello, and thank you for staying tuned to From the Concert Hall. Those of you who listen to us throughout the night, and those of you who are just joining us, you know, we thank you so much for sticking with us, you know. We, we're glad you're listening to us, but sadly, we've reached the end of our show for tonight. So, as always, thank you for tuning in from the concert hall. We truly enjoy, you know, putting this show on for you. If you would like to get in touch with us, give us comments on the show, or, you know, suggest topics for future shows even, or maybe suggest recordings or songs you'd like to hear us play, you can find us online at facebook.com forward slash from the concert hall. Or you can find our radio station, KUOZ 100.5 FM, online at facebook.com forward slash KUOZ 105. You know, send us a message. We'll get it. We'll respond to you. We're really curious. You know, tell us what you think. Drop us a line. Let us know. If you missed the show tonight, don't worry. You can always find us. Well, actually, you can always find this show and all of our, all of our previous shows, every single one podcasted at soundcloud.com or also on iTunes if you just search for the, our show title from the concert hall. Just look for the little golden almost you know, bullet looking logo with you know, the four string players in the center as a silhouette and that's us. Our shows typically run an hour as you can tell and you know we, we podcast every bit of it. So don't worry, you won't miss a beat. Now it's that time of night. I've got to let y'all go again. I hope all of y'all have a wonderful night. Enjoy.